0: All right, Freddy, it's you cleaned up. I'm all right, all right, I don't want this. Oh, come on, man, this is serious. How, how are you gonna get to heaven if you're not clean? Oh, hey! hey what's going on here? Well, I'm trying to help Freddy get his life cleaned up. And how are you supposed to do that? Well, I have water, but I need soap.
1: Yes! Yeah! <laughs> but you see, not just any soap First, the person should want to have their sins washed away. No one can force them to do it. And the only thing that can get rid of our sins is S O A P. That is the Savior of all people, and his name is Jesus. I have a Bible that explains more about it.
0: Can I see the Bible?
1: Sure.
2: troubled soul, all the broken pieces that
3: Good morning, everyone. Hey, I'm on time, so I rode with my dad today. Thank you, dad.
1: (laughs) Hi guys, we appreciate everyone for being here, especially our guests. If you are a guest, you can take a care card that's located in the pew rack in front of you, fill it out, and turn it into the welcome desk or to one of the boxes in our lobby. And also, as you can tell, today looks a little different. Today is our second youth Sunday, so we'll be getting led
3: by the youth again. The Pitts Deacon body is building a volunteer workforce that can help um, step in and answer a call when a shut-in senior adult or single parent needs a little help with a project. When the church office is contacted, the appropriate team coordinator will be activated to reach out for details on the need and see if we are able to assist. That's where you get to be a part of the um, fun. We have several teams that will need men, women, boys, and girls to sign up to be on call to help out. Service teams and options include light or heavy yard work, light or heavy home maintenance, vehicle maintenance and repair, tech support and IT, and hospital visitation. See the display in the work center lobby to sign up.
1: It is our joy to support families and they end up as they endeavor to raise their children in a christian home as part of this belief many families choose to recommit themselves to the lord as they begin to minister to their children family dedication will be celebrated on mother's day sunday may 14th during our morning worship service parents who wish to participate in dedication must attend the family dedication class which will be held sunday may 7th at 9 a.m in the kids worship room in the core Parents who wish to participate in this commitment service should complete the family dedication form available at the check-in or at the worship center information desk, no no later than today. If if you have any questions regarding family dedication or the family dedication class, please
3: contact Amanda Christian. College graduate recognition is coming up, so please let Kevin Seeger know if you have a college graduate in your family this year.
1: This Thursday, we have a ladies' night coming up. It is, six, it is at 6.30 p.m. in the core, and the theme is Complete Joy in His Direction. This event will have delicious finger foods, punch, and assorted teas, along with a step-by-step painting, which will be led by a local artist. Tickets are $10, and they are still being sold today.
3: We are having a friendly neighbor's luncheon on Tuesday, May 9th at 1130 a.m. It's in the core gym, so please bring a dish to share. Coffee, tea, and water will be provided. And also feel free to decorate your table with non-perishable food items that will be donated to Baptist Children's Home.
1: Here at Pitts, we love our senior adults. On Sunday, May 7th, we will celebrate with a special service, followed by a fellowship over lunch. All senior adults are invited to join us in the core gym, immediately following our worship service for a delicious meal in your honor. There is no charge for the meal, but you must have a ticket, which you can pick up at the information desk in the worship center lobby by today.
3: Growth groups for women. This year, uh, the group's um, theme is identity theft, reclaiming the truth of who we are in Christ Um, growth groups for women is a small group consisting of women of varying ages and in different seasons of life they meet twice a month May through October so you can see the registration form for meeting times and the days Um, the locations may vary whether it be at home church or restaurants etc the cost is ten dollars to cover the study guide please uh and it's payable at the kickoff event. All groups will meet together for kickoff May 15th, um, Midway Fellowship August 7th, and wrap-up event November 13th. Registration forms are available at the Worship Center Info Desk. Please return by May 7th.
1: This upcoming week is Firefighter Appreciation Week. If you know any or you see any, make sure to give them some extra love and let them know how appreciated they are to our community. And also, please make sure to pray for all of our firefighters during this time. Now, Isaac will be giving us a scripture reading. Uh,
4: Good morning to Damien read out of romans 1 16 and 17 it says for i'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek for in it the righteousness of god is revealed from from faith full faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith uh, dear god i thank you for this day and i thank you for allowing us to be able to come here today and, and uh, worship you and just see how the youth will lead uh, in the future generations I uh, thank you for uh, giving us the freedom to do so in, in this country, and I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Uh, I want to thank you for all of the firemen that, that fight for uh, fight for us and, and to keep us protected in, in our communities. And I pray that you would just uh, help Isaiah and Jonah to have a clear mind this morning, uh, that you would give them the words to say and when to say them. And just calm any nerves they may have. Uh, and I pray that you just help us to live for you and not be ashamed uh, of you. And, and in your name I pray, amen.
0: Alright guys, glad y'all made it. We're going to be talking about John chapter Hey 15. guys,
5: sorry to interrupt, but I have some important business to take care of. We've got a box of lost and found stuff, now have any of you guys found that you've lost some lost but then found lost and found stuff? Because it's been found, because it's in our lost and found box? <laughs> right, let's see what we got. What's this? <laughs>
1: oh,
0: what, what, what's that?
1: That's the TV in my control.
0: Oh, that's where that went. I don't have to watch the whole shopping network anymore.
5: <laughs> right, let's see what we got here. <laughs> this goes? Oh, hey, this my sheep. Hey, that reminds me of a really cool Bible story. So
0: the Good Shepherd uh, had 100 sheep, and one of the sheep got lost. So the Good Shepherd left the 99 to go find that one lost sheep. And when he came back with that lost sheep, they all celebrated. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, it's good to know that Jesus loves us so much that he looks to bring each of us back when we wander from his care. If anyone is lost, they can be found.
5: Hey, there's one more thing in here. What is it? It's a bag of marbles.
1: Oh, I know whose those are.
5: Whose?
1: Those are Kevin Knight's. He lost them getting ready for Youth Sunday.
4: wonderful place filled with glory and grace I want to see my savior's face heaven is a wonderful place I want to go
6: Two, three, God bless.
1: Alright, good morning everyone. If y'all want to go ahead and stand, I'm going to get ready to pray and we can get ready for worship. All right. so dear God, I thank you for um, this morning and for everybody who's able to make it and for all the youth and um, the youth pastors and everybody and the parents who are able to make this possible. Um, I thank you for all the visitors that are here this morning joining us. Um, I pray over Jonah and Isaiah as they get ready. Um, to deliver the message that you just calm their minds and their hearts and um, get rid of any nerves they might have. Um, I pray that we can um, all take this moment to prepare our hearts as we get ready for worship to um, accept your message today. Amen.
2: Let me out of the desert. Into his dreams, the river of living water. It's heard my bitter is sweet, and all my burdens is lifted.
4: It's through the shackles
2: of my feet. And there's no sound louder than the captive set free. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so, sing of his promise.
5: Is that on? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, I meant to put this on earlier. Um, I, I didn't plan on saying this. I love music. It's something that I've done for quite a while now. It's got an incredible power to move people. And it's just, the Lord's got an incredible way of working through music. Something else that I love about music is that if I mess up, you're probably not gonna hear it. <laughs> You're going to hear it if I mess up right now, but that's just going to be okay, because today I'm not up here for me, I'm not up here, I'm up here to bring a message, and it's for y'all, but more importantly, it's for the Lord. I've looked forward to doing this for a while now, and I am extremely thankful that I get to come up here today, I'm thankful to all of you for giving us this opportunity, because this is something a lot of churches don't do, not do thankful to our church staff, I know maybe some of them... Are taking a day off today. Some of them are here. I want to say thank you to all of them. You know, they've poured so much into each one of us. It has been such a blessing throughout my life because I have been going to this church since I was just two years old. And they've poured into me that whole time. Now, today, Joan and I will be bringing a message from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would go ahead and turn there. While you do that, I'm just going to give a really brief self introduction. Um, so, like I said, I've gone to this church since I was just two. I was born in Arkansas. Um, I've been homeschooled my whole life, and I'm planning on going to Liberty University up in Lynchburg uh, here in the fall time. But that is plenty about myself. If you would please go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Again, this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Today I'm going to be focusing on verses 1 through 7. Jonah will pick up in verse 8 and finish in 13. But we're going to go ahead and read the whole scripture right now. This is the English Standard Version. God's word reads, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Father God, Lord, we come before you today thankful for a Sunday. Thank you for a day that we can come to your house to worship you, to focus on you. Father, it's something that we don't get to do or that we don't choose to do very often in this busy life, Lord. But we thank you for this opportunity to give the glory to you and to focus on you. Lord, as Joan and I bring the message today, please calm our hearts, our minds, and our spirits as we prepare. Father, please give us the words to say and more importantly, speak through us. We love you, Lord, and thank you for every person that's here. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right. I want to begin with just a brief word on this passage here. So as the title suggests... 2 Timothy is Paul's second letter to Timothy, who he refers to as his son in the faith. Timothy was also the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now, at the time of writing this, Paul is now in prison in Rome, and he's at the end of his life and his missionary journey. Now, many of you are familiar with Paul's incredible life and missionary journey, but it's at this moment that Paul is at the epitome of his suffering. Here he says in this passage that he is bound in chains as if he were a criminal, but he has done no wrong. So Paul has preached the message faithfully, and now he's at the point where he is handing it off to Timothy and saying, Timothy, I pray that you do the same as I have. I pray that you put Christ first. I pray that you continue to suffer faithfully because the reward is so much greater than the struggle right now. The end prize, the end goal, Christ himself is so much greater than anything this world will throw at you. So here Paul is once again encouraging Timothy. Now looking at this passage, today Joan and I are going to focus on three points. My main point is sharing the gospel faithfully. We're going to talk about how you share the gospel faithfully, and then Paul gives examples when comparing us to soldiers, athletes, and farmers, to give us, to give us um, a way to be like Christ. Then Jonah's going to come up later and pick up with how Jesus is the perfect example. And then he's going to finish with the comforts and challenges of being a Christian. Now, the first point I want to make today is of central importance to the gospel. And it's important to sharing it faithfully. Of course, after Paul had given his purpose for his letter in chapter 1, he dives right into the meat of his message here in chapter 2. In doing so, Paul reminds us that our mission as believers is to know God and to share his gospel faithfully. I want to read verses 1 and 2 again just to give a little context as we move on to this passage. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We need to see that we begin our Christian mission by drawing near to the author of our salvation. Colossians 1, verse 10 and 11 state, so, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We see that it is impossible to do God's will if we are not investing in our personal relationship with the Father. In sharing the gospel, we need to know our mission as followers of Christ. I want to share a quick story. So some of you know, I work out at a boat club on Lake Norman, and when you put the boats out for the day, you get a lot of downtime. It gives us an opportunity to have some really neat conversations and a lot of witnessing opportunities, as it turns out. So this last summer, I was with a coworker, and he asked me a big question, a question that everybody has to ask themselves at some point. He said, Isaiah, if you're a Christian, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the world doesn't give you a satisfactory answer for this. The world will tell you a lot. The world will likely tell you there's no purpose. The world, the world will tell you some other stuff. But I would heard this answer before, and I gave it to him. I said, well, the purpose of life is to know God and to make him known. To know God and to make him known. He didn't know how to respond to that. I found it really interesting. I didn't realize that the answer would give it to him like that, but. That's something that the world can't give you. I want to break down this phrase for a second. First, I want to give credit where credit's due. This is the famous saying of Mr. Lauren Cunningham, who is a co founder of Youth of the Mission. Now, firstly, knowing God. Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 22 that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Jesus said that the most important thing we do is to love the Lord with everything that we are, we need to know God. In the same way, Jesus said, see here. Jesus said in the Great Commission, before he ascended back to heaven, he told the disciples his last thing. He said, Go make disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we must know God. We must invest in our relationship with him. And then we must continue to spread that gospel. That's sharing the gospel faithfully. So now, let's move on to the next part of the passage, verses 3 through 6. This is the characteristics of a good soldier for Jesus. Let's read verses 3 and 6 again, just to get some more context here. Sharing the suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, beginning in verses 3 and 4, believers are understood to be soldiers fighting for the Lord's battle. Now, in this context, Paul is reminding Timothy of his mission. He's also reminding him to faithfully endure suffering for that mission. And lastly, he's reminding him, we must abstain from what is worldly, because that will only hinder us. This is being a soldier for Christ. So we've already covered the mission is to know God and to make him known. We also see that we must endure suffering. Now, I want to look back at Matthew again, but this time chapter 5. This is the recording of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And verse 10 is one of his Beatitudes. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I really, really like this verse, and I wanted to learn a little more about it, so I looked at the ESV study notes. And they say this, this verse refers to those who have been wrongly treated because of their faith. God is pleased when his people show that they value him above everything in the world. And this happens when they courageously remain faithful amid opposition for righteousness' sake. Now, believers suffer all around the world today. As it turns out, the unbelieving world doesn't like the gospel. That's because of sin nature. That's also because the Bible says that there are demonic powers at work in the world that turned the world against the gospel. Some people are even giving their lives in hostile environments for the gospel. Now, it's unlikely, at least for today, that we will see persecution to the extent of death in America for the sake of the gospel. But it doesn't take a theology professor to see that the gospel is no longer socially acceptable here in America. And believers, they lose friends and family members all the time because people don't want to associate with someone who believes the gospel. But Jesus knew that all this was going to happen. He knows that the world is against us. He knew that that Satan's only goal is to turn us away from the Father. Jesus said this. This is the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Now, rejection from the world does hurt, and isolation from the go- isolation on the sake of the gospel is suffering. But James 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, Jonah's going to bring up this verse later because it is extremely powerful. Now, secondly, as a good soldier, we need to abstain from what is worldly. Now, we've learned that a soldier knows his mission and that a soldier will suffer faithfully for his mission. But now we need to see that we abstain from, from civilian pursuits. Now, the fight is challenging for a soldier for Christ. You know, we're born with the sin nature from day one, we don't know how to do good, but evil. We have to be in the scripture to learn what's right. And even then, the flesh is against us. The old covenant, the law were written out so that not so that we couldn't just follow the law, but the law would expose why we need the Father, because we can't overcome the sin. But that's of course why Christ died, right? Christ died so that He could take the sin from us, He could take away the slavery. The bondage that sin puts us in. So although we have a sin nature, we are free from being forced to do the will of sin. Sinful desires separate us from God, and they desire to destroy our bodies and spirits. But Paul tells us in Romans 6, verses 11-14, through So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but grace. Now, any pleasure or treasure of this world, is passing away just as the world is. we got to remember, like Matthew 6 tells us, we must store up our treasures in heaven, in the kingdom of God. We do that by serving the Lord faithfully, by spreading that gospel. That's where the eternal value is. When we're examined at the end of our lives, when we're before the judgment seat, Christ is going to look, he's going to say, the value that we have given, the, the value that we've obtained in this world, was what we did in his name for his glory. So as a soldier, we must know our mission, which is to know God and to make him known. Then we need to suffer faithfully as a soldier despite difficulty, because the reward is so much greater. And Lastly, we need to abstain from sin as we pursue the treasure of the kingdom of God. Suffer faithfully for the gospel. Now we're going to move on to the next point, which is the comparison that Paul makes when he likens the life of Christians to that of an athlete. We need to train as athletes. Firstly, we see that when training like an athlete, we need to know the game that we're playing. We need to study the rule book. Now, reading the Bible and studying it is one of the most important things that a believer can do in their relationship with God. And when I think about reading the Bible, I think about Matthew 4, and where Jesus was fasting, and he was faced with temptations from the evil one. Jonah's gonna bring this up later. It's a powerful story and it deserves repeating. In the midst of temptation, Jesus told Satan in verse 4, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I didn't realize this before I prepared this message. But Jesus is saying here that the word of God is just as important to the life of the believer and the spirit of the believer as bread is to the life of your physical body. If you went a couple of days without eating, things would be rough. I know if I go a couple hours without eating, things are very rough. (laughs) I'm a teenage guy. But the Bible is so much more than that. If we go a day without reading the Bible, we go a week, it doesn't really matter. It's not a time thing, but it's a heart thing. If we are not putting God before what we want and what we think we need every day, the world is going to get us. Without the Word of God, we are useless against the attacks of the evil one. Here in Matthew, every time Satan tries to tempt him, Jesus uses scripture to send away the devil. When we're abstaining from the world, Jesus shows us that reading scripture is how we win our battles. In Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10-17, through Paul tells the Ephesians that the weapon that we wield as believers is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, When we are having difficulty with other people, when the world is coming at us, we need to be defensive. We need to take up the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness. We need to be defensive. But when it comes to sin, we need to go on the offensive. We need to pick up the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, because we need to attack sin. You know, Snowbird has blessed our church. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters is a, is a youth camp primarily in Asheville, north not Asheville, um, in Western North Carolina. And Snowbird is got to be my favorite place in the world. But Brody Holloway is the lead pastor there. And he said one of my favorite sayings. He said, be killing sin or sin be killing you. Now, he says it with a really cool accent, so it sounds cool. <laughs> I'm just going to read it because I can't talk like he can. But it's a great saying, be killing sin or sin be killing you. Kill sin. Eternal value is in what we do for the gospel. When we're idle, it's idle. But sin hurts us. It's easy to dismiss it sometimes. It's easy to let it be there. Let it be just a small part of our lives. Kill the sin. It can't be a part of a believer. Paul says, don't let yourself be used for unrighteousness, but righteousness. We need to know that the scripture is our weapon that we use to fight sin, temptation, and the devil. Because we are useless without it. So once we have studied the rule book, when training as an athlete, we need to trust our coach. Now, entire sports teams are made or broken by their coach. Coaches are paid millions if they can help teams win the game. Why is that? Well, an athlete who is going to win, an athlete, a winning athlete, a champion, they are disciplined. They are disciplined to train their bodies. But not only that, they are disciplined to trust their coach because the coach has the game plan. The coach is looking out for the best interest of the whole team. The coach can see the strengths and weaknesses of every player. An athlete may have the strength, he may have the ability But if he isn't trusting the coach, he'll walk out on that field by himself and not know what to do. In the same way, we need to trust that the Lord, our coach, is faithful to his word, and he will fulfill his promises. I love the promises of the Lord. One of my favorites is in Romans 8, 28 and 29. It tells us, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The Lord has promised that he will give glory to his name and he will work all things for the good of those who love him. We are called to have faith that in all things the Lord remains faithful to those who have called upon his name for salvation. So as athletes, we need to know our game by studying the rule book, the Bible. We also need to trust our coach. Trust that the Lord is faithful. He faithfully forgives. He faithfully fulfills his promises. And he is faithful in coming back again. Trust the coach. Now we're going to look at my last point for today, which is working as a farmer. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that before I moved out to the country, two and a half years ago, I knew very little about what it meant to be a farmer. I'll just say. Farming is a small part of the American population. I didn't know much about it, but thankfully, I moved out to the country. Let me tell you, here in the country, you know, we, we ride horses, we ride the tractor. I mean, I didn't garden, but I watched my mom garden. That was good. But despite this, two and a half years later, I still know nothing about being a farmer. It's crazy how that works. But thankfully, the people in the Bible understood what it meant to be a farmer. And there's a lot of great farming metaphors in here. I like Luke chapter nine, verse 61 and two. It says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here Jesus is making it clear that serving God is a fully committed, lifelong commitment. As believers and farmers, We cannot take our hands from the work of the Lord. We can't turn away from the work of the Lord. Once we commit to him, it's lifelong. We will fall, but we must get back up, trust the Lord's grace, and continue to strive towards being sanctified, being more like Christ. Referencing Snowbird again, one of Jonah and I's favorite things that we've heard there was the story of the man of God who was mauled by a lion, Sounds kind of weird. The man of God who was mauled by a lion. Doesn't seem to fit, but I want to give you this story really briefly. Just going to overview it. So in 1 Kings 13, the man of God, he was sent by the Lord to go pronounce judgment against King Jeroboam. He was a really rotten king. And so the man of God went. He pronounced judgment. But Of course, King Jeroboam didn't like that. He stretched out his hand against the man of God to send his soldiers to kill the man of God. But what happened? The king's hand withered in midair. It died just like that. Of course, this frightens the king. He said, oh, man of God, please pray for me that my hand can be restored. The man of God did, and his hand was restored in an instant. The man of God was sent to do the Lord's will. He obeyed faithfully, and he even restored the king's hand. What a virtuous man. What a godly man. He set back, he was going to go home, hopped on his donkey, clicking away, going home. Because the Lord gave him a very specific commandment. The Lord said, do not stop anywhere, anywhere before you get home. So he wasn't going to do it. He was riding along. But an older prophet from Bethel, he heard about what happened. He sent his sons to go find the man of God because he wanted to talk with the man of God. Well, after some negotiation, the sons had told the man of God that they were also prophets. And they heard a new revelation from the Lord. I don't recall any other time that I heard a new revelation from the Lord after he gave one. But the man of God submitted, he listened. He went and ate lunch with them, and assumably they had a great time until the Lord pronounced judgment on the man of God. The Lord said, you will not lay rest in your father's grave. That's kind of scary. Now, I know maybe for some of us, death seems kind of far away. Death is something that we don't like to think about. Laying rest in your father's grave may not be a big deal at the moment. So the man of God went back on his way, on his donkey again, just cruising, good five miles an hour, something like that. <laughs> Everything is fine until, out of absolute nowhere—well, actually, probably out of a bush—a lion jumps out of the bush and mauls the man of God on the spot, just like that. The man of God went from serving the Lord, from restoring the king's hand until he gave up his guard oh there's another prophet that was it if he had gone through there a couple hours earlier there wouldn't have been a lion sitting right there the lord gives us some very specific commandments and we can't let our guard down they say it's snowbird if you take a day off you'll be eaten by a lion that's this story it's in the bible because you know what The Bible says that the devil is a roaring lion walking around to find someone to devour. If we don't have that shield of faith, if we're not in the word of God, he will get us. If we don't give God the glory, if we don't put him first, if we make our own plans instead of trusting God's plans, we're going to lose our footing and we're going to fall right back to the world again. We must give every day to Christ so that he may use us to produce fruit for the kingdom. In closing my section, I want to touch on verse 7 briefly. It says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Notice that the verse doesn't say, you will have understanding. It says, the Lord will give you understanding. Paul knows that we in Timothy will not understand everything written in the word of God. But James 1, verse 5, says, We are told it says if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him if you truly seek the lord if you truly seek the lord's wisdom with a humble heart you want to do the lord's will you ask him for wisdom and he'll give it the lord wants us to know his will for our lives but we've got to be in the word to understand that that is how we share the gospel faithfully we must suffer faithfully as soldiers to share the gospel. We must study the rule book as an athlete and trust the coach to share the gospel. And we must work hard as a farmer, not taking a day off from the work of the kingdom. Now I'm going to hand it over to my friend Jonah, and he's going to show us how Jesus is the perfect soldier. And then he's going to challenge us with the comforts and challenges of being a Christian. Thank y'all.
0: Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. So just a brief introduction of myself. Um, my name is Joan Edgerton. I've gone to this church my whole life. I'm very thankful for this opportunity um, to come here and have my hand in the message. Um, so my plans after the school year, this summer, I'll be working in Solid Rock Bible Camp. And then after that, I'm doing community college or something. I'm not 100% sure. So <laughs> we'll just take it as it comes. <laughs> So, I'm going to drive right back into it, seeing this is the second half. So, from Isaiah's section, we've seen how we should be soldiers, athletes, and farmers for Christ. My section is going to give how Christ is the perfect example of all three of those attributes. So, b- before we um, get into the Word, I, just, I hope this will um, be a challenge to you. For those who are, who are saved, I hope this will give you encouragement and assurance as you finish this race of life. And I hope that you won't be lukewarm in your walk with the Lord, but you'll truly seek him. For those who are not saved, I hope this will show you the light of who God is by showing you what his son has done in the receipts of his acts on this earth. So if you read with me in Second Timothy 2, verse 8, it says this. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So immediately after Paul talks about being a soldier athlete and a farmer, he goes into almost giving credibility to who Jesus is, and I think this is very important. He doesn't just say, remember Jesus. He says, remember Jesus, who's risen from the dead, who is the offspring of David. It almost fulfills the Old Testament prophecy, saying, look, this is the Savior. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give more credibility to who Jesus is by explaining how he's fulfilled being a soldier athlete and a farmer. So our first point is going to be Jesus suffered perfectly as the soldier. Christ suffered in many ways, and my first example of his suffering is going to be right after his birth. So when he was born to, um, by, for Mary, Joseph and Mary, his parents, they immediately had hardship in their life. And I think this is a great example to us, knowing that whenever you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life doesn't just get easy. It definitely doesn't get easier. There will be suffering, because Jesus has said it himself. <clears throat> so um, whenever I read this to my sister Ainsley she's getting her degree in child and family development and she of course had to correct me on something when I read it to her and I, what I said was this didn't affect Jesus directly saying that he's an infant it's not like he's the one walking from Israel to Egypt but she had to say something so she said um, you ready? <laughs> so Jesus probably suffered from social emotional damage from All the moving, whatever that means. Okay, so a little story from my life (laughs) is I really, I really enjoy backpacking. Me and my family have been a handful of times, um, but the reason it's fun isn't because you suffer. It's fun. I know Kevin knows this because you get all the cool tools, right? You get the thing to start the fire, to filter the water. So whenever we stop at a campsite, you dump your really expensive backpack. Okay, you pull out all the tools, your pots pans, all the things you need for cooking, whatever. Set up your tent, and. Again, it's just convenient. So imagine having to walk from Israel to Egypt. If you, if you know the topography of that, it's not a short distance. But you're doing it with an army behind you that had the plan to kill your two-year-old child. Or under two-year-old child, sorry. And, um, <laughs> and um, you're not doing it in the nicest things. You're coming from a pretty poor community. It's, it's not very easy. At least there's a bit of suffering. The next example I have of Jesus suffering is right after he was baptized. So the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to wander for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's hard for me to understand how those 40 days and 40 nights, that wasn't the hard part. He was tempted by the devil. So the devil tries three times. The first time he says, if you turn a rock into bread, because I'm sure he's hungry. And Jesus responds with scripture. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil tries again. He brings him to the... um, the temple and the holy city, and he uses scripture out of context, and he tells them, if you jump, right, then your angels will save you for sure. And then once more, Jesus responds with scripture. He says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then finally, Satan tempts Jesus with one of the biggest temptations that any person on earth could probably hear. He brings them to a high mountain that overlooks all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, if you will fall and worship me, you can have all the kingdoms. So if the Jewish leaders in the church at this time were correct, Jesus would have taken that offer, right? Because their enemy was Rome apparently, right? They, Rome was persecuting them. But this really shows us we should take comfort in this. Jesus didn't come to rule when he came the first time on earth. He came to save us of our sin. So instead he responds, he says, "Be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall put the Lord your God, sorry, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve." So this reminds me of the story of David, how from a young age, he was told he would be king. But before he could be king, he would have to fight Goliath, he'd have to run away from Saul. He even had to pretend to be a crazy man, where he's literally foaming at the mouth that's in the scripture. So he goes to the Philistine, the king of the Philistine city, he says, this obviously isn't David, send him away. And then he holds a sword against Saul to finally be a high and respected king. David suffered knowing and trusting that he would be king, and he trusted God in this. Jesus suffered knowing that he would die on a cross so we could be saved. He suffered all the trials he went through, not just to suffer or to prove a point, but it was for a purpose. That purpose was to save you and me. The next example I have of Jesus' suffering is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, his disciples completely abandoned him. So whenever the, um, the soldiers came to take him away, well, who was the disciple who told them that, that he was there? Ju- Ju- Judas, right? So Judas, one of his own disciples that God, that Jesus loved, told the soldiers where he was. He gave him up, and then what do you think? Oh, all the all the disciples probably stood up for him. Well, not all of them. Actually, they all fled. And the one who stayed around a little bit longer denied Jesus three times. In the time, in well, and this is the most difficult thing anybody in history would go through. Before this, Jesus was completely alone. The final point of how Jesus suffered is how he suffered on the cross. He was wrongfully accused, he was whipped and he was mocked until he was unrecognizable. And he had a crown of thorns put on his head. And he would carry his own cross to the hill of Golgotha to die and to drink the cup of wrath that was meant for you and me. There's a quote from the book Truth on Fire by Ray Ortland, and it says this, it says, what was in this dreaded cup? It was the unrestrained fullness of God's holy wrath poured out against my sin and yours with a power that would make a thousand atomic explosions seem like nothing more than the hiccup of a mouse. If you don't know how big an atomic explosion is, when it goes off, it's so hot, it's as hot as the surface of the sun, and he's comparing a thousand of those to nothing, pretty much. You can't understand it. And on top of this, the father looked away from the son where he was completely by himself on the cross. And it says, from a quote from Colin Smith, it says, The Father who loves him, who is Jesus, turns his face away, and all the comforts of the Father's love are beyond the Savior's reach. Jesus suffered for a purpose, I can't say this enough, and the purpose was to save us. That's why it's a debt we owe to him to, spread, to suffer for the spread of the gospel. Our second point is Jesus trained perfectly as the athlete. So from Isaiah's section of the sermon, we learn about being prepared and praying and studying scripture, but I want to ask you, how often do you pray and how often do you study scripture? It's one of the most important things we'll do in our life. And I know for me, it's something I really struggled with as I was growing up, but luckily we had a teacher who did this very well. So I'm going to look at some examples through scripture that show Jesus' preparation before the trial. So in Mark 135, before Jesus went to preach in Galilee, he would rise very early in the morning to pray in a desolate place. When you read in Matthew 14:23, you see how Jesus prayed um, into the night before he would walk on water. In Luke 6:12, Jesus prayed all, all night before the day he would call his disciples. In Luke 5.16, you will see an account of how Jesus healed a leper, and when the crowds came near him to be healed of their own infirmities, he would withdraw to pray in a desolate place. And in Matthew 26, you see three times Jesus went to pray intently so the cup of wrath might pass from him. And in Luke 23.34, Jesus cries out to God, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. On the time when he's on the cross, he's not praying for the cup of wrath to pass from himself anymore. He's praying for the people who are crucifying him, saying, God, they don't understand. Jesus prayed constantly. He had his eyes on the right thing. And it's easy for us to pray and to study scripture when the times are hard. But you see with Jesus is, he would pray before the trial. And even during the trial, you see he took comfort in the Father. There's, there's something that my dad said to me a million times, and it's um, whenever you're going through a hard time, I, I love to think of this. It's like you can't use God like a vending machine. You can't just ask for a C7 or an A5 whenever you want. You see, Jesus was prepared from his preparation. This is the example we need to look at when we don't feel motivated to get up 30 minutes earlier before work to sit and study scripture and to pray to the Father. And if you already do read and study scripture, you have that designated time every day, that is amazing. Please don't stop doing that. But please don't become comfortable in it. You can never read the scripture and you can never pray enough. It's one of the most important things to do in our life. To the extent that Billy Graham, and this is regards to the biggest regrets he had in life, This is what he said. He said, I would also spend more time in spiritual nurture, seeking to grow closer to God so I could be more like Christ. I would spend more time in prayer, not just for myself, but for others. I would spend more time studying the Bible and meditating on its truth, not only for sermon preparation, but to apply its message to my life. If one of the biggest evangelists in history are going to say they wish they spent more time in scripture and prayer, there should be a wake-up call to us not to be comfortable in the amount of time we spend in scripture and prayer. And this should also be a wake-up call to us to really dive in the truth of God's Word so we can learn how we can be more like Christ. Our third point, and it's the shortest of these three, is Jesus worked perfectly as the farmer. So we know Jesus grew up as a carpenter, which is hard work, but I want to focus on these last three years of his ministry, and they the only three years of his ministry. He started at the age of 30. He was crucified at the age of 33. And I, the physical aspect of it is it's believed that Jesus was to have walked a little over 3,000 miles in his ministry— which, if you don't know, so from Georgia to Maine, that's the length of the Appalachian Trail, and it's a little over 2,000 miles. So Jesus did that plus 1,000, and he didn't do it in the newest, nicest hiking boot. He did it in a uh, Judean sandal. That's like a crappy flip-flop with a back on it. (laughs) There's no rock plate. You feel everything, okay? So that took some grit. It takes hard work, and you see Jesus' hard work from his suffering and his training, in his training, he'd stay up all night, he'd get up early, he'd stay up late. He was obsessed, he was committed to this time with the Father. And you see, in his suffering, it takes a little bit of grit to do what he did. A little bit of putting your head down and just get it done. You've got to work hard as a Christian. We should be a light in that. Now, if you continue to read with me in 2 Timothy 2, 9-10, through I'm going to start in verse 8 so you get the full picture. But it says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Bound what changes a criminal? Not, sorry. Bound what changes a criminal? But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We see here Paul does what he does because of Jesus. He suffers for Jesus. And the reason, and you also see in verse ten, Paul endures so that others can come to salvation in Jesus. There's another quote from the book Truth on Fire. And it says, but the sovereignty of God, sorry, the sovereignty of Christ who upholds the universe by the word of his power is rocket fuel for following him into his mission with assurance. Jesus Christ is the reason we would go to a third world country to spread the gospel, knowing that we have the risk of being martyred. That's the funny thing. We don't live in a third world country. We live in a first world country. We have the freedom to do this. We have the freedom to come here this morning and to worship the God who created us. But for some reason, we still struggle to get out in our communities and spread the gospel. We see how Paul was called to preach and be a martyr. And that may not be our call. Our call may be just when you're at, when you're at work or when you're at school and, you, and you're having your lunch break. You've had a rough morning. You've had tons of meetings. You've, had, you've just heard crap from people all day. okay? And then all of a sudden, someone goes, hey, I, I have this question about who God is. But you might not know the answer. So you say, oh, I don't, I don't know. Whatever. Just leave me alone. I just want to sit here and eat my lunch as my break. Rather than, you know what, I'll go, I'll find the answer for you. I don't know, but I will, ha- I will find the answer. Or maybe it's just something even simpler than that. You're leaving because you clock out early on a Wednesday to maybe go help with the kids' ministry. And someone asks you on the way out the door, hey, why do you clock out early on Wednesdays? And you just simply tell them, oh, I help with the kids' ministry. Maybe invite them to church. Explain why you do what you do. It is so important that we, we, we should not forget this. It should be on our minds all the time. And, you know, the, the biggest thing of this is you cannot be more scared of somebody else rejecting you because of what you believe than you are of where their eternal soul is going. That is so much more important. Our final point is coming in verses 11 through 13. These are going to be comforts and challenges of the Christian walk. Okay? I'm going I'm to go verse by verse. So in verse 11, it says this. It says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. This is the first comfort. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have made a choice to die to yourself so you can reign with him for eternity in paradise. So this raises the question. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I'm asking another question. If you don't know, do you want to know? Because I've asked you, you have to say yes or no. I know that's kind of bold, but it's just true. I asked you the question, so you have to respond with something. If you say no, you'll get in your car, you'll go home, and you won't think second about it. It's whatever. If you say yes, please ask somebody. Talk to someone. If you just have questions about what he's done for you, please talk to somebody. We'll see in verse 12, it says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. This verse is a challenge to us. You'll find verses in, the, in, the, in, in James that speak on being steadfast. You see um, here it's telling us to endure. And later in the book of 2 Timothy, it tells us to run the race strong. But why would we do it? It's so we can reign with Jesus. Now there's, um, there's a verse from 1 James 12. Isaiah's already read it. But I can't, it, it just explains it better than I can as it comes to being steadfast and why we would do it. It says, James 1.12, It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And then finally we'll see in verses 12 and 13, it reads this. It's If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So this is a comfort to us. It's a comfort because God is sovereign over everything and our mistakes are not going to get in the way of his plan. Not only are they not going to get in the way, but they're a part of his plan. I do like how it's careful here. It clarifies. It says if we deny him, he will also deny us for he cannot deny himself. So denying God is going to be a further lapse in judgment than just just faithlessness right? It's going to be an apostasy apostasy towards who God is. So what does denying God look like? So a simple question. If you are a Christian, I asked you, are you a Christian? Denying God would be saying no. Now it could be something that might be a little bit sneakier than that. It could be, so if you come to church on a Sunday morning and someone were to ask you at work, like on a Friday, hey, Sunday morning, we're getting up early, we're going on a hike, why don't you come with us? And you were to look at them and say, I'm just busy. And they ask, well, what are you doing? You're just, I'm just busy, I just can't go. You're unaffiliating yourself with a place of God. You're, you're too embarrassed to say, oh, I'm a Christian and this is what I do. You're denying God. Now, being faithless is going to be more the story of Jonah, where Jonah never denied God as a savior, but he had no trust in God's plan. He was faithless. So we see Jonah ran from God because he didn't want to go to Nineveh to spread the word. So he runs saying, God, I just don't trust this. I'm going to leave. So then he ends up on a boat, and the people ask him, well, who are you, after they cast lots? And he says, I, I fear the Lord. He, or he tells them who he is. He says, I'm a Hebrew, okay? So we see through Jonah's unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness, God was still faithful, because the boatload of people that he ended up with, they all learned about God, and they learned who he was, and the Ninevites still turned. They still made the decision to change the way they did everything to focus on God. God is sovereign over everything. We need to take comfort in this. So to wrap everything up, do you prepare to su- are you prepared to suffer like a soldier? Do you train like an athlete, and are you hardworking like a farmer? And if you already do these things, I'm going to see this is why you should do it. When you suffer, suffer because of what Christ has endured for you. When you train, train so you are prepared to spread the love of Jesus to those who don't know it. And when you work, work with an obsession to hold yourself as one approved before God. If you'll pray with me. God, thank you so much for this morning that we're able to come here and worship you. I just want to pray if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know who you are and they want to know more, that they will make the decision to follow you. Um, God, I just want to pray that we can really learn what it means to suffer like 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 a soldier, to train like an athlete, and to work like a farmer. And please help us not to forget why would we do any of those things. In Jesus' name, amen.